Hey there, welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. I'm your host, James Lee, and I'd like to start off this episode by saying thank you. Thank you so much for the amazing positive response we got after our podcast relaunch. We have some amazing interviews lined up. We are talking with folks like Anger Muduteke of G-Core to talk about how the church can move to become anti-racist. We're also talking with Olu Brown, the founding pastor of uh, Impact Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And we have many more conversations lined up. So be sure to share the podcast with all of your family and friends and to subscribe so that you stay up to date when these amazing episodes get published. Well, for today, we're sharing a conversation that I've had back in 2021, a conversation, I don't wanna be dramatic, but this is a conversation that was salvific for me. It literally saved my life, especially as a pastor ministering a church during the pandemic. As pastors and leaders, we know that our jobs can be incredibly draining and stressful. In fact, more than 44% of pastors report feeling numbing and draining in their roles. And at a GNJ clergy gathering last fall, we asked our pastors to rate their stress level between one being stress-free and 10 having overwhelming stress. 90% of our pastors rated themselves as being between eight and 10. It's clear that we need to prioritize self-care and rest in order to continue doing the work that we're called to do. But it's one thing to tell those in ministry, you need to rest. And a completely different thing to actually give them the room and the capacity to take said rest. And that's why I'm thrilled to share this conversation I had with Dr. Nate Stuckey of Princeton Theological Seminary, alongside then pastor, Reverend Rennell Howard, uh, who is now serving as the Central District Superintendent of Greater New Jersey. And during this conversation, we talked about the importance of Sabbath rest and how rest is not a sign of laziness, but actually rest can be an act of resistance against the systems and the principalities that tell us that we are only as valuable as we are productive. Rest is not laziness, but rather a way of living out the message of the gospel. So sit back, relax, and I invite you to listen in to this insightful conversation on the power of rest with Dr. Nate Stuckey. Take a listen. Uh, my name is James Lee. I'm the pastor of Wesley United Methodist Church in South Plainfield. And I am Ronnell Howard, and I'm the pastor of Christ United Methodist Church in Piscataway. And with us is a very special guest, Dr. Nate Stuckey. Thank you for coming. Absolutely. Glad to be here. For, for those other people who may not know who you are, would you mind just quickly introducing yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Nate Stuckey. I serve as director of the Farminary at Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, have been at the seminary for about 15 years now, basically half of that as a student and the second half as uh, the director of the farminary. Grew up on a farm in Kansas, was a youth pastor in Maryland for a half dozen years, went back to Kansas and farmed, and then, uh, like I said, I've been in Princeton for the last 15 years. Thank you. So Nate, you know, we've been talking about eliminating hurry from our lives. And one of the things that we've been talking about 
especially in the last two weeks or so, has been Sabbath. And you've done a lot of work just exploring the Sabbath and the importance of the Sabbath. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask is like, why is the Sabbath important? We know that we have kind of gotten it a bit twisted in Christianity, our understanding of the importance of Sabbath and how we practice it. What's so important about maintaining or keeping a Sabbath? Well, my most concise response to that question is because we're exhausted. <laughs> uh, you know, Amen to that. <laughs> uh, is that enough? <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Um, I have been working with, on, in, through Sabbath now for well over a decade. And now that we're, you know, years into this pandemic journey, it feels like the layers of exhaustion just keep accumulating. Mm. And um, uh, I did a adult education uh, hour for a church down in Delaware uh, back before Christmas. And uh, one of the premises of the whole thing is that we're living in an era of multiple fatigues. So there's pandemic fatigue and screen fatigue and activism fatigue and, uh, you know, on and on and on and on. Right, right. And I just, you know, into a room of 50 or 60 people, I was like, does anybody want to question the premise? Uh, does, does anybody want to counter that we're in uh, an age of kind of multiple exhaustions or multiple fatigues? And if not, then where do you see it and where do you feel it? And basically unanimously, everybody sees it, everybody feels it. And, um, and the question is, well, then what do we do? And I think the Sabbath wants to help us answer that question um, but it's, it's difficult, but yeah, I mean, the short answer is why Sabbath, uh, because we're exhausted and because I think at some deep level, we recognize we're incomplete without it. We're, we can't be who we were created to be apart mm. from it. Mm. The thing about rest and Sabbath, I think that gets a lot of people tripped up is the sense I get from even myself and a lot of my friends and people I talk to is I love the idea of rest. <laughs> right? But I just can't afford to rest. I think you do talk about this in your book, yeah. Wrestling with Rest, and I love that uh, conversation in your book. But just what, is, what would be your response to the also comment, I, I, I want to rest, that sounds great, Nate, but I can't afford to rest because I have too many important things to do. Yeah. How would yeah. you respond to that? Well, I actually think, I mean, I love the question, and I think it's one that we need to sit with for a while. Mm. Uh, I've, I've done this exercise uh, with seminary students where I'm like, I want you to just name all the characteristics of the ideal fill in the blank in, in, at seminary, like the ideal pastor. But you could do it with the ideal parent, the ideal, um, you know, um, teacher, executive, teacher, right. you know, coach, whatever. Yeah. And none of those, if, if you take any random sampling of people and invite them to do this exercise, nobody's ever going to name well-rested or knows how to rest, like as a desired gift. Nobody puts that on their job description as like, this is what we really value in an employee. Somebody knows how to rest well. And, and, and like the fact that that sounds laughable to us <laughs> right. points to something about like wow, our yeah. assumption about what mm -hmm. it means to be human. And I think like that's, that's where I think it makes a lot of sense to just sit with that question and to not brush over it, but to say there's a lot going on in us, there's a lot of layers, generations of formation that have been going on in us for for us to just be able to sort of brush that aside and say, well, I, I just can't afford, I afford to do that. I have too many things to do, too many important things to do, which 
in and of itself, again, it, it automatically categorizes rest as unimportant. Mm. Uh, even though, like, I think people are pretty quick to, to also name a deep sense of longing for it uh, and that sense of, I mean, every, every, you know, if, if, you've, if you've been a new parent, right, and you've gone through, like, the sleep deprivation that goes along with that, you know, <laughs> right? You know how that compromised sleep situation fogs everything. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, how much fog has just become normal to us mm. because rest has become so abnormal to us? Mm. I've been talking about this with a couple of friends and um, talking about how um, I have the luxury of Sabbath that I don't always take. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that there are still plenty of people where it is a luxury. Yeah. Um, to just rest and whatever that rest looks like right, for a right. person. Um, I've we, heard it as privilege, right? Yeah, you have it's the a privilege to be able to have margin and rest. Yeah. yeah. I think our, a lot of our language around rest needs to shift. Okay. Now let's and talk about that. So I, uh, I agree that um, there is a sense in which to be able to rest is a luxury, it's a privilege. But that's not the only way to approach this uh, as we talk about it. Mm -hmm. mm. And I'm inspired uh, by the work of um, Trisha Hersey, mm -hmm. the Knapp Bishop down mm -hmm. in Atlanta, right? <laughs> yes. Who's going to talk about rest as an act of resistance. Yeah. There's something to that too, right? Mm -hmm. mm. Where that, that gives it a depth of meaning far beyond like, well, it's just an exercise of your privilege or your luxury. Maybe. Um, but it can also be defiance against, against the system, this crushing the voices that say go, 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 and that your worth is inextricably linked in what you can produce or what you can achieve. And in the face of that, God says, No way, not my people. That's never going to work. And we have an opportunity to receive that mm. and to proclaim mm. that to an exhausted world to say, Not because of what I've achieved. Mm -hmm. Not because of what I've accomplished, but because of the astonishing grace of God, I do stop mm -hmm. and I rest. I'd like you to speak to those people who are perhaps uh, bivocational, people who have multiple jobs and families and children where um, there are real roadblocks yeah. to getting rest. And how do we as a world, as a church, as a community, really level the playing field so that it isn't so rest isn't a luxury so my question in response to your question is like whose responsibility is this and it's very easy for us to just to assume that you know it, it in keeping with the the um difficult legacy of the american dream uh that well you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work rest. harder well, but right, that, but right, like right, flipped right. towards rest, it, yeah. like you can pull yourself, make time. yeah, make time, just get it done, right? Like it's, it's that important. And, um, and I'm back to like, no, we can't rest alone. And we can't have the society where that is possible alone. An all important story uh, in this regard is the story of the Israelites, uh, their journey in the book of Exodus, captivity, wilderness, promised land and how you have these people who are held captive 
uh, for 400 years, for centuries, and then God comes, rescues them, they end up in the wilderness, uh, they run out of food, they grumble, they complain. I affirm that when the food <laughs> runs out, people should make a stink. Um, and God responds uh, with this kind of bizarre provision, which is manna and Sabbath all wrapped up in one. Go out and collect enough for one day, five days, and on the sixth day, gather twice as much on the seventh day, right. stop and rest. And I think there's so much going on in this story. Um, mm -hmm. But it leads eventually to the offering of the Ten Commandments. And in there, the longest command, the one that takes up the most words, the one that functions as the hinge point between the commandments that are, that are directed towards right. God and, and the ones that are directed relationship. towards relationships kind of horizontally, the Sabbath goes both ways. Uh, and it's like, stop, rest, and you should do this. Your children should do this. Uh, the resident alien should do this. Those who serve you should do this. Right. Your livestock should do this. And why should you do it? Well, it depends whether you look at the Deuteronomy version or the Exodus version. In one case, you do this because God did it first at creation. The only commandment that says, do it because God did it first. The only command that invites explicit imitation of God. None of the other commands do that. Wow. The other version says, why do you do this? Because um, the Lord your God brought you out from the land of Egypt with mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In other words, what I hear it saying is, you have to remember there was a time when Sabbath was not an option for you. There was a time when the powers and the principalities and the structures of the society where you dwelt would not permit you to stop and rest. You can't go and recreate that when God leads you to the mm. promised land. When you get to the promised land, you remember Don't. that time and you have to create the society, participate in the society, develop the society that enables rest, not just for you, but for everyone, mm -hmm. even everything. the whole creation. Mm -hmm. so, so when we get into this conversation about like, you know, there are people who can't rest that is absolutely right. Well, whose responsibility is it to try to reshape uh, the, the societies that we live in so that it becomes more and more available for broader and broader sections of God's good creation? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the call. I'm pretty sure that's the invitation. I think it's the command, uh, and it's really hard work, and it includes rest even for us. One of the things that I found um, during the pandemic when work came home mm -hmm. is that work then began to be almost around the clock. Yeah, right, right. And um, with that blurred line between work and home, that home has gotten <sighs> this big <laughs> and work has gotten this big at yeah. home i'll find myself at 10 11 o'clock doing stuff yeah. on the computer preparing calling myself you know prepping for tomorrow or getting a head start on some things that have to get done and so um for those like me who uh really struggle how do we get to the point where we love ourselves enough to rest. Yeah, yeah. I spend some time in the book with the help of the Swiss theologian Karl Barth unpacking the 
the first Sabbath, the seventh day of creation. And I love how Bart unpacks this and just kind of looks at how the story unfolds. Plain meaning of the text, you know, he calls it a saga. And you, you know, you have day one, day two, day three, God's creating these things. Day four, humans are not on the scene. They're not doing anything yet. They haven't been created. Day four, day five, day six, God creates all the land, creatures, and everything else. Finally, at the end of day six, God creates humankind. And, and when God creates humankind, um, blesses, gives them something like a job description, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, all these things. And if you're following sort of the trajectory, the natural trajectory of the story, it would seem that on day seven, the humans are ready to get up and work. But that's not how the story goes. Instead, humankind's first full day of existence, again, to the plain meaning of the text, humankind's first full day of existence is a day not of work, but a day of rest. At this point in the story, there is no way that these first humans can think that they get that rest because they earned it. Wow. They have no work of their own on which to reflect. The only work they have to reflect on is God's. Wow. And so Bart will say, and the Methodists ought to listen, there at the beginning, grace precedes the law. Mm. So how do we love ourselves enough? Um, (laughs) I think, no, I really believe that there is grace enough for us especially on the days when we don't know how. Mm. And that that is rooted in this primary, ultimate conviction that before we were created, we were loved. Mm. And that rest is ours, not because we earned it, not because we got enough done, but because God is good. Mm. And because God gives the gift and we can open ourselves up uh, to receive that. But, but, but again, you go to the longer story and something as apparently simple as rest puts us up against all our demons. Mm-hmm. The demons of productivity, the demons of, of am I worth anything or not, the, the demons of am I lovable, the demons of, of, of um, what will the neighbors think, what will the church think, what will God think. Um, and all along the invitation persists. Oh. Stop. Sabbath at its roots means stop. Stop and remember that you are loved. That grace just might be real. Mm. Um, and, and it raises this question, I think, especially for those of us in ministry, but for all, all people of Christian faith. What does it mean to proclaim the gospel? There are an infinite number of ways to proclaim the gospel. Maybe one of the ways the world desperately needs to hear us proclaim the gospel is through the practice of rest. And is it possible that our very practice of rest proclaims the gospel, proclaims grace in a way that our endless effort never could? Maybe. Well, Nate, I could talk to you forever. I want to. I want to hear hear more about this. Uh, it would eventually put you to sleep. At which point we could call it a success, right? We have attained it. We reached rest. We reached it. Yeah, yeah. We reached the yeah. goal. We made it. 
But I, I do want to wrap it up. But, you know, I, I just feel it's appropriate that we invite you to close us in prayer mm. as we wrap up this time. But thank you so much for coming and being here and sharing your story. And uh, I'm really excited to be sharing this conversation with our church family. Oh, of course, my privilege. Thanks for having me. Be glad to pray. God, you are astonishingly persistent at undoing us. And though rest seems like it should just be an easy thing to accomplish, it too undoes us. And God, I pray that it would undo us. Undo us from our obsessions with productivity. Undo us from the persistent questions about whether we are lovable or whether we are worth rest. Undo us from the notion that we have to earn it. And open us to the possibility, the conviction that rest is given to us by you because it's just who you are. And God, help us to create churches and societies and cultures where all creation flourishes because rest flourishes there as well. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.